You're listening to the Military Homeschool Podcast. The Military Homeschool Podcast aims to equip and encourage parents by covering topics relevant to military homeschooling families. Tune in each week for tips and advice from someone who's been there as a military wife and homeschooling mom. You also hear inspiring stories and informative guest interviews with experienced military homeschoolers and experts in the educational field. The Military Homeschool Podcast is a broadcast of the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network. Last week was part one of my interview with Morgan Farr, a Texas-loving, succulent-cultivating book nerd and aspiring author. As an Army spouse, she has learned to lean heavily on Christ while walking this military life. Morgan and her husband have four young children and two fantastic working dogs. A jack-of-all-trades, Morgan is always learning something new. When she isn't homeschooling her children, writing for Christian publications, or training her Dutch shepherd, Morgan can be found listening to country music while lifting weights, reading, or cheering on the Texas Aggies. Morgan is best known for her structure, discipline, and organization. She uses these skills as the director of publishing for Planting Roots, the graphic designer for Mission Mill Spouse, and in various positions within Protestant Women of the Chapel. You can connect with Morgan on all major social media channels using her handle at Morgan D. Farr. Today on part two, we pick up right where we left off in part one. Morgan and I were chatting about how the consistency of homeschooling during the pandemic of 2020 gave our children stability during uncertain times. Thank you so much for listening in. Here is part two of our conversation. I really feel like when it comes to school, we have this this mindset of what we think it should be, what we think it should look like, whether we grew up in it or watching movies or TV or even kind of societal expectations of, you know, it's August, so everybody goes back to school. Well, I mean, we've been in school as usual all summer, partly because it's 107 degrees outside right now while we're filming, um, while we're recording. It is that hot and it's, you know, seven o'clock. So, we decided, you know what, we're just going to not do school in the, like, we'll take time off when it's nice. When the weather is nice outside, we will take, we'll take Fridays off then. So we'll school through the summer as usual because it's hot and there's no point in trying to be outside after about 10 a.m. Um, just here in San Antonio, it's too much. So we'll take the time now, do our schoolwork be diligent in it. And then when the fall comes and it finally drops below 90, um, we can then go ahead and do our hiking and our exploration um, at a time when it's, you know, more reasonable and more comfortable. And we're able to do that because of the freedom of saying, you know what, this didn't fit our homeschool. This didn't fit our life. And if it doesn't fit, stop doing it. Do something else instead. So true. And I love what you said about, and And honestly, my next question was going to be about socialization. You know, we all, as homeschoolers, that dreaded socialization question comes up. But you were sharing about how you all are really doing life together. Your kids have been included in so many neat opportunities. And they also have 
had opportunities to meet other children their age, but have you ever felt like socialization has been an issue? And are you intentional about finding and making connections for your kids when you move to a new duty station? So I was actually super nervous about socialization in the beginning because I legitimately believed all homeschoolers were a little bit weird um, early on. Now, and I married one, so just do with that what you will. But I legitimately was like, all right, I don't want my kids to be weird, so how can I do this? But the reality is school is such a, I, I don't want to use the word arbitrary again. It is It is not how the real world operates. You never see a large group of seven-year-olds, you know, flocking together down the street just in everyday life. That's not a thing. Um, so. It, it's very, it's arbitrary. It's not authentic. It's not the way the world really works. Um, and I, I was a talker in school. Um, like I was the kid that was constantly in trouble for not, you know, don't talk to your friends being moved all over the classroom so that I would not talk. And it would just be, you know, they'd move me over here and I'd talk to that person too and move me over there. And I'm talking to that one. And I would talk to the wall if it would sit still long enough. So um, it, for me, I don't want my kids to be stuck in a group that is exactly like themselves because then they're in an echo chamber. So um, the world is full of dynamic individuals, people of different ages, races, religions, beliefs, backgrounds. And I want my kids to know that that is the norm. I want them to get to experience those things for themselves. I want them to be able to be around things that make them ask questions. Um, because I want them to grow up knowing that learning is a lifelong endeavor and saying, I don't know, or I'm not sure is totally acceptable. And I don't think you can learn to do that well when you're surrounded by your own age group and your own demographic. So sure, I want them to have friends their own age, but I also want them to be comfortable talking to our elderly next door neighbor and their Sunday school teacher and our, you know, friend down the road that has a two-year-old and their grandparents and me and my friends. And I want them to be comfortable speaking with human beings, regardless of what they look like, what their age is, what their beliefs are. And I think a huge part of homeschooling is allowing your kids to be exposed to those things. Mm -hmm. um, so just you know, we've done co-ops in the past, like official real co-ops. We participated in Wild and Free when we were in San Diego and Philadelphia. I enjoyed them, um, but my faith is really important to me, um, and I want to pour into my church community. So here at Lackland, we have been invested really heavily in the local PWC, the Protestant Women of the Chapel, on post. Um, we attend the Bible study on Tuesday mornings where the kids are in a class with their, you know, kind of age group. Um, and then we open up our home on Thursdays for a fellowship day where whoever shows up, I mean, we've had, um, you know, as few as one adult and one kid and as many as 11 adults and 17 kids in my house at one time. Um, and they come in, we have coffee, the kids play and we fellowship and live life together. Um, it gives the moms a chance to interact in a way that is not, um, formulaic. It's not like a Bible study. It's not like a, you know, you have to be here at this time or whatever. It's come and go. Um, and the kids can be themselves. There is no, 
um, you know, sit down, be quiet. We have to, if you want to run and yell, you run and yell. That is, this is the appropriate place to do that. Everything here is, um, you know, bolted to the walls, all the bookshelves so that there's, <laughs> you can be very comfortable with, um, I never want to have gramnesia. Have you, have you heard that term? Um, no. it's, so I read about it on a blog a while back. Um, it's this idea of, we forget what the younger stages are like, the infant and baby and toddler and preschooler as we move out of them. So we kind of get gramnesia, grandma amnesia um, as yeah, we yeah, move. Yeah. yeah. As we move out of those stages. So you'll be like, oh, yeah, come to my house. Sure. Come on over. But you forget that you have cleaning supplies where little bitties can find them or that, you know, your beautiful glass table is like just a death trap for a two-year-old. Um, and so I I try to have my home set up in a way where uh, someone can bring in an absolutely wild 18-month-old and be completely comfortable knowing their kid is safe. So even though my kids are over the age of baby gates, I still have baby gates up um, where they need to be so that kids can be safe and moms can be relaxed. Um, oh, and so awesome. because we do that, that means that my kids then get to like, we have high schoolers that come over with their mom and they sit and they are working on their schoolwork while the moms are having coffee. And we have two-year-olds and we have an infant and we have a whole bunch of, from like five to 10, we have a whole bunch of those. Um, and we get to be together organically. And so we get to see, you know, so-and-so parents this way, why can they do that? And I can't, well, because they have a different rule system for their family and different people have different rules and that's part of life. And we would miss out on those opportunities if they were not seeing those things right here where they could then ask me. That is so cool because that's so true. There is nowhere else in life that we're going to be segregated by our age. Exactly. Even in an office we're still going to have other people who are going to be all different ages from somebody that's near retirement age to somebody that's entry level and just coming in. And you've got to learn to relate to people wherever they're at, you know, whatever their age, whatever their belief system, whatever their backgrounds, you know, you've got to be able to relate to them. Yeah. And teaching the, the aspect of respect. You Mm -hmm. respect their beliefs. You respect their, whether it's culture, whether it's religion, whether it's politics, you don't have to agree. Agreeing and respect are not the same thing, but recognizing that they are individual people um, with inherent dignity and you need to treat them that way, even if you don't understand why they do what they do. And a huge part of that is by saying things like, you know, let's talk through why this is that way or um, you know, my kids know that they can come to me with any question. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's, um, you know, something small, like how does the inside of the refrigerator work? Great. We will look that up. We are great at that. Or, Hey, you know, what is, what is sex? What is that? How, you know, let's talk through that. They know that they can come to me and ask that. And we will have a completely frank, clear, honest conversation about it. And there's no shame. There's no any, it's a completely neutral environment where as long as it is in the sake for the sake of knowledge, it's not to be salacious. It's not so that you can make jokes or be gross. Then yeah, let's talk about it because it's an honest question about the way life works. And that's the whole point of homeschooling. Oh, I love that. 
That's so good. And, you know, we've talked about all the amazing benefits of homeschooling, but I'm curious, you know, because if, if I wasn't a homeschooler before talking to you today, I would be now because <laughs> I just love your story. This is so amazing. But I'm wondering what has been the most challenging aspect of homeschooling for you and how, how do you overcome that? So for me, it's probably twofold. Number one is getting out of my own way. Um, I tend to be super structured, super rigid. Like I, um, I'm up at 4 a.m. every day. My kids are up at 6:45 every day. We do quiet time breakfast. Um, we do our physical training. One of my kids goes to speech therapy, so we typically do that three days a week, and then we follow through on our the rest of our school schedule. And so some of it has been learning to. Um, my my mother-in-law used the phrase, uh, let go and let God, like, relax, let go of your schedule. And there are times where the science experiment is going so well, let's, let's let go of math today, and we're going to stay focused on that. Now, the rigid side of me would be like, oh, my gosh, the schedule, we have to. <laughs> and I have learned, no, there are moments where the learning is so good and so authentic Nobody is keeping a scorecard. Nobody like the homeschool police are not going to come in and go, oh, you got off schedule. You get a zero for today. Uh, Like that's not a thing. But um, I am learning to be more open and receptive to when we are in a really good learning groove. And I don't I shouldn't sacrifice the learning for the sake of um, a schedule or even a routine necessarily that there are times where that's okay to let go of. Um, so that's probably number one, but the biggest challenge is definitely overstimulation. Um, so as I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm autistic, so I'm very sensitive to physical touch and noise, um, which, I mean, if anyone listening has children, then they're like, wait a minute, that's, (laughs) you have four children, eight and under, that's a lot of physical touch and a lot of noise. And that is incredibly true. So I have had to learn ways to minimize, um, some of those experiences and then mitigate the results of being overstimulated. So um, with auditory overstimulation, I've learned that I have to be very clear with my children about when I'm overstimulated. I have to give them an outlet to be loud and crazy. Like, let's go outside and you run, yell, jump, you do what you need to do, bang on a pot, whatever you need to do to make your noise. That's great. And then communicate with them that, hey, this is what I'm experiencing it feels like being rubbed on all the time when I can hear noises in the background just constantly and communicating that with them so that if they are experiencing it, they now have the words to say it, um, but also they can see and understand and learn compassion for um, people that are different than them. So um, I also use, uh, they're called loop earplugs to help reduce the noise a little bit without completely blocking out the sound. Uh, my two-year-old is still a little squirrely and I need to be able to hear her, but um, I use those so that um, my son has a balance chair when uh, for his chair at school. It's a, it's a ball that he sits on um, because he has ADHD and movement is a big deal for him. He learns better if he can move. So if he's bouncing, he is able to focus. Unfortunately, the chair makes a sound and I fought it heavily for the first 30 days of like, I can't do this. He's he's going to have to learn to not be on this chair because I can't have the sound anymore. 
um, but using the earplugs has made it so that he can still bounce while he's reviewing his spelling words or doing his math. And I'm not overwhelmed with that sound anymore. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but um, that that has helped the auditory overstimulation quite a bit. Um, and then the physical overstimulation, um, I adopted a technique from Susanna Wesley. She's the mother of um, John and Charles Wesley. She had 19 children, 10 of whom lived to adulthood. Um, and with all the little hands that always needed her, she had to demonstrate to them a way that she was unavailable um, because she was spending time in prayer or she just needed a moment with God. And that was to take her apron and she would put it up over her head. Um, and I know that sounds silly now to those of us that don't wear aprons, but mm-hmm. um, when she was under her apron, it was a visual reminder to her small children that she wasn't to be disturbed because she was spending time with God. Um, so I wear an apron most days. Um, and when my children were very, very small, I would do exactly what Susanna did and put the apron over my head. And it was my visual reminder to my under three that mommy needs to not be touched for just a minute. I need you know, whatever the time is, five minutes um, to not have to be experiencing any sensations so that I can decompress a little bit and come back calm. Um, And for some of my kids, that was easier to understand if I actually used the apron. Like if there wasn't the visual reminder, then they would come up and, you know, put a hand on or whatever, and it would contribute to overstimulation. So having that visual reminder really helped them before they were old enough to recognize um, that other people have needs that maybe they don't understand. Um, And then in addition to that, I learned that lifting really heavy weights helps me significantly to um, cool off. I know that sounds funny, but like to reduce the the overstimulation, there's, there's nothing like a really heavy back squat set to help you just reduce the feeling of crawling out of your skin that comes with being overstimulated. Um, so the best way that I overcome these challenges um, is to face them head on. So I'm not going to try and say that they're not there. I'm not going to try and run away from them. Um, it's very easy for me to compare myself to other moms, homeschool moms in particular, that seem to have unending patience and never get overstimulated. Um I'm right there with you. (laughs) But I'm built differently and that's okay. Um, Yeah. yeah, And it it can make you an absolute monster if you're not careful. Um, So I could do that. I could, you know, my friend Liz is unendingly patient. I've never heard that woman raise her voice or like she doesn't raise an eyebrow. She is just like calm. I think of her as like, I don't know. It makes me think of like a meadow in the very, very early morning with like dew all over it, you know, just peaceful. And I'm like, I don't know, Louisiana swamp, just boom, (laughs) overstimulation. And it's very easy to compare the two. Both have their benefits. Both have their place in the ecosystem. And that's okay. And recognizing that and saying, I'm going to learn how to handle the things that I need to be able to serve my family, my home, my community. Um, in a way that is honoring to my family and honoring to my faith and honoring to myself. And if I am comparing myself to someone else, I'm not honoring myself. I am not someone else. I am Morgan, and I need to behave that way. Um, I also want my children to learn to do that. I want them to have the confidence to say, I'm overstimulated. No, I'm not going to do this, that, or the other. Or you know, I'm anxious. I don't think that this TV show is something I should watch because it creates 
um, you know, a feeling of anxiety in me or whatever it is. I want them to learn that and they will learn that best if they see it modeled. Right. That is so true. And, and what you're doing by recognizing these challenges that you have and the challenges that your children have is you're teaching them to respect and empathize, but also communicate their needs to you as you model that by communicating your needs to them. Exactly. Exactly. And I want them to be able to do that so that when they go into the real world, when they are, um, you know, in jobs, when they're married, when they have their own children, they have that empathy to be loving, caring people for people, for other people, even if they're not like them, if that makes sense. I want them to not just love people that are similar to them, but to see the inherent dignity of people that are different from them too. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And the way that you're doing that is what putting them in a classroom or even, you know, we can give them a book that where they could read about this, but to live it out is what gives them the tools to be able to do it throughout the rest of, of their lives. Exactly. And that's that's the benefit of homeschooling is that we have the opportunity to have those things happen organically. We don't have to rely on a curriculum to do it. We don't we can use a curriculum to fill in gaps if we need to, but so much happens naturally and organically that we are able to build those relationships within our family that allow them to jump from here in the best possible way. They can, when they leave the nest, it's not a, oh, and I crash into the ground and kind of pick up the pieces as I run along. Um, They get to take off from the nest and soar directly where they're supposed to be. Love that. As we end our time together today, what closing thoughts or advice would you like to leave military homeschooling families? I always tell families um, that homeschool to name your homeschool. It sounds funny, but give it a name. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Our, our school is named. We, uh, we call our school the FAR Athenaeum. Uh, FAR is our last name. And our school is, my husband jokes that our school is so selective that you had to be born into it. Um, the <laughs> Athenaeum car. Yeah, I know. Um, he's, he's a legacy homeschooler. So that, that is just a funny (laughs) thing to him. Um, but the Athenaeum part comes from, um, from Greek, which, uh, it's an institution for the promotion of literacy or scientific learning. Um, it's also a library or a reading room. So I want my children to graduate from far Athenaeum with a love of reading and a solid understanding of literature and scientific learning. Um, so when it comes to giving your school a name, The reasons are, there's three. Um, When people ask where your kids go to school, they have an answer. So for those people that um, ask you in Target on a random Thursday why your nine-year-old isn't in school, um, or they say, hey, where where do you go to school? They can say far Athenaeum. And the people are more likely to go, oh, yeah, okay, like they know what that is, rather than the kids saying, oh, well, I'm homeschooled. Um, I have never had someone be like, oh, well, I've never heard of Far Athenaeum, but I have had people say, oh, what do you mean you homeschool? Aren't you worried about and insert, you know, socialization, grades, whatever. Um, so that gives the kids an answer for that question. Um, and then when you're trying to set a vision for your schooling um, or make a decision about participation in an event or an extracurricular activity, 
it's much easier to do that when you have a cohesive goal. And in my mind, that starts with having a name. Um, and then finally, because we are, you know, military, I find that uh, military movers are much more careful with boxes labeled FAR Athenaeum than they are with boxes labeled homeschool curriculum. Um, every single box labeled FAR Athenaeum has come through successfully. Um, and we have had several homeschool curriculum boxes that have either been lost or destroyed. Um, so they tend to be treated as a, a more valuable thing than just, you know, homeschool stuff. Such good advice. Um, that is such, I had not thought of that before, but I just recently, again, uh, had to write transcripts for my kids to my two youngest to start college. And you don't want to put homeschool on a transcript. Right. I mean, we know it's valuable, but they are much more likely to accept it and see it as valuable if you have a name on there. Ours is Lighthouse Christian Academy. And it's yeah. neat too, because all of my children have graduated now from Lighthouse Christian Academy. So it feels more legit, I guess, even it though does. we know homeschooling's legit. It it gives that legitimacy to our culture, to the world that, you know, this is legit. This is true education. Exactly. Well, Morgan, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing about how your family does military homeschool life. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Friends, I so hope you enjoyed part two of my interview with Morgan Farr. You can find both part one and part two wherever you listen to your podcast. You can read my show notes at militaryhomeschoolpodcast.com, where I'll include links to all of the great resources Morgan mentioned. Please be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss a single episode. Please join me again next week for another encouraging episode of the Military Homeschool Podcast. Have a blessed week. Thanks for listening in today. Be sure to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. If you liked this podcast, please take a moment to give it a five-star rating and leave a comment. Links to the resources mentioned during the show today can be found in our show notes at militaryhomeschoolpodcast.com. Connect on Facebook at Military Homeschool Podcast or via email at militaryhomeschoolpodcast at gmail.com.